Thanks for downloading and listening to a Quick Timeout podcast presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. If you're in the market for a shooting machine, look no further than Dr. Dish Basketball's incredible lineup of shooting machines. Their CT, All-Star Plus, and Rebel Plus models have been bought by thousands of programs around the world, while their home model is being used by players all over the country, right in their own backyards and driveways. New to the lineup this year is the Dr. Dish facility model for those with basketball training businesses. These machines are must-have for those looking to take their shooting to the next level. To find out more, visit drdishbasketball.com. It's great to have on the podcast founder of TOC Culture Consulting and author of the book, The Culture System, J.P. Nervin. J.P., thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it, Tony. If by chance someone out there isn't familiar with you, can you give them kind of like the book jacket version of your bio? Yeah, coach for many, many years. I actually player in basketball at University of South Carolina as a walk-on, then got into coaching internationally, got my start in Ireland and coached youth level all the way to professional level. Uh, spent a little bit of time in Lithuania as well, but uh, uh, I'd say the second half of my coaching journey was in the States at the high school level and hit rock bottom as a coach with culture and started to really dive deep into that. And as I was doing that, I started to share my learnings and my journey. And that led to me primarily working with coaches um, to support them by being a coach for them, essentially, you know, helping coach them on the culture and their leadership and the relationships and connection. And that's what I've been doing here the last seven years. I've read a lot of books about culture and in most of those books, there's a lot of stories about good culture, explanations of the effects of good culture, and, and sometimes even like warning signs of bad culture or things that at least lead to bad culture. This book really isn't any of that, is it? No, I think, you know, because I'm a little bit familiar with your work, even though I'm not <clears throat> spending too much time in the basketball world, but, you know, you're all about, yeah, there's principles around how someone might want to play the game of basketball, but how do you teach that? How do you implement that system uh, of play within your program? And it's the same with culture, right? I think a lot of times books are all about the principles around great culture and these leadership mantras, you know, and those are valuable, but how do you translate principles into something that's actionable that you can build and build upon throughout the season and from year to year? And that's, that's what the culture system lays out. It's, it's got some cool stories, you know, within it for sure to help it illustrates some of these key strategies and principles that are so core and foundational. Uh, but there's actual methods and tools and it's laid out in a way that any coach at any level can implement it. Uh, and we've done it. We've done it at the you know professional collegiate and high school level. Uh, I've had the fortune in, of supporting and coaching um, dozens and dozens of coaches uh, over the last seven years. And, and this is what it's, you know, we're sharing what we've been doing. I sometimes get this sense that developing elite culture is like this elusive journey that they know good culture when they see it, but they don't know exactly how to achieve it. It boils down to just a couple things, doesn't it? Yeah, I, lo I look at it as well, first off, you got to have your own leadership, right? Like, you, you know, you have to be working on yourself. You drive the system. So do you have, you know, your life in check? Do, are you demonstrating the behaviors? Do you have a bit of a vision or some sort of mission or some core values? Have you spent time thinking around what you're trying to build and who you want to be as a leader? That's what drives the system. Outside of that, the system comes down to establishing, supporting, and enforcing the culture. And what is culture? 
culture is made up of the relationships, how connected are people, how much do people trust each other, how safe do they feel, how much do they feel like they belong. And then it comes down to all, the other side of that is the standards. How do we do things here? How hard do we work? You know, what type of attitude do we show up with? You know, all the little things. So if you can, that establishing supporting forcing is all about helping to bring the team closer together and constantly raise those standards. I think everybody would say that they have standards. Can you talk about like what that looks like in elite organizations and some of the terms that even you used, you, you have used to describe what those standards are and how the people within those organizations view those standards? Yeah, that's a great question. I think one of the things that I have, I mean, I've studied so many great organizations, not just great sports teams, but I think one of the common factors I've found from the John Woodens to the, you know, companies like Toyota, um, you know, whoever, they have what I would call non-negotiables, which is really comes from the leader, the CEO, the executive of the of that organization. And they're simple and they're clear and they're truly non-negotiable. So they're not just like work hard, have a good attitude and treat people with respect. They're John Wooden's be on time, be neat and clean and, you know, never criticize a teammate or Pete Carroll. You know, it's very, you know, very similar, you know, no blaming, complaining, you know, compete in everything you do. Um, or, you know, as I talk in the book, Mike Abershop, Navy, Navy ship captain, one of the uh, biggest turnarounds in Navy, Navy history, uh, worshipped the best ship in less than two years. He was like, don't do anything that will cost taxpayers money or endanger anybody's life. Like those became the foundation for the transformation. So there's those coach standards that we try to implement. We got to get super clear and specific on what those look like, as well as how are we going to support and enforce those? That's a big thing. And then there's a variety of ways outside of that to really try to empower the players to be a part of setting some other standards that align with the goals of the team. And there's many ways to do that. I outlined some ways through some different team meetings that you could do or team retreats that really get the team to rally around not just some short shared goal or purpose and not just the standards around like, what does that look like in the weight room or on the court? Like those things are done. But what's missing so often from that second piece is, okay, what happens when we don't do those things? How do we hold each other accountable? How do we support each other? And how do we want, you know, what are the consequences look like? Obviously there's the natural consequences of we stink, you know, or the experience sucks for our team, but there's really trying to enforce, you know, come back to the, the consequences that we're going to agree upon when it comes to coaches holding us accountable. When we do those things, when we clarify the way we support the standards and how we enforce those, when we get that clarity, then players are more receptive towards those moments where we have to kind of call them back up to the standard because that's going to happen everywhere. You know, in all the, every culture, you don't set culture and leave it and expect it. You have to come back in and support it. And yes, there has to be a level of accountability. We implemented a lot of those ideas in the last two years, thanks to some of the things that we've gotten from you. And it has really like taken our culture to the next level. And I think everybody has standards and they want to hold people accountable. But they're, once you get consistent with that and it does become something that the whole group does, it seems to create a different atmosphere or culture within your program. And I think that in large part, that had something to do with the coaching staff. And that's my next question that you talk early on in the book about the types of leadership and specifically the transactional versus the transformational leadership. I think that everybody wants to be a transformational leader. How do you define those two 
And it's not that necessarily maybe one is right and one is wrong, but in this regards developing strong culture, is there one that's preferred? And how can we maybe sometimes have something or a behavior slip in that doesn't necessarily lead to us having strong culture? Yeah, I guess on that 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 first part of that question of what is transactional transformational, I mean, transactional is when I'm leading, it's oftentimes about what I'm going to get. It's this, tra- you know, it's simply, it's a transaction, right? You know, I'm giving you this scholarship to play at my college. Now, what I expect out of you is these things in return, right? It's it, it, And that's the nature of many sports today. When it comes from a transformation, it's looking at what I can give to you what I can offer you, and especially in, in, in terms of the experience, the memories, and the impact on your life, you know, not just to help you become the best player, but the best person, right? And today we, I don't, but like back to your point too, I don't know of any coach out there that doesn't want to make a difference in their players' lives, but somewhere along that journey and the day we lose our way a little bit and it becomes a little bit more about ourselves. And it, no coach is fully transformational or transactional, right? We're always on the sliding scale. And uh, I think that that's, you know, really trying to identify for us, first off, some when it comes to this culture, you know, you mentioned standards, but, you know, we can set standards, but without relationship, it, it'll always in some ways come back to being fairly transactional. So do we see our players as people first and do we connect with them? And so we talk about in the book, a few ways to do that from day one. What are those initial conversations where you're getting to know about them as a person, what they struggle with, but also identify what's important to them because the reality is when we understand what their goals are and how those also can somewhat align with our, and their goals for the team. And we start to coach them rather than tell them where we think they should be or where they got to get better. But we can coach them on that path to becoming a better player and better becoming a better teammate, a better person. I think that's when we start to become more transformational, or as I call it. Essentially, we're not a coach. We become a mentor towards our players. And that's, that's I think, that ideal sweet spot here is when we're, when we're in those relationships where we're walking the journey with our players. I think that's the sweet spot. The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love Huddle Assist. With Assist, you can get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats, in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And Assist is more than just the box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats like lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal shooting percentage to coach smarter. Plus, Assist brings your stats to life. Combined with HD quality, automatically captured film from the Huddle Focus smart camera, every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com slash assist. Visit huddle.com slash assist. That's huddle.com slash assist to learn more. Another early step is establishing your core values. And I see a lot of core values on t-shirts and on walls, but in a lot of cases, it seems like that's kind of where the values end. In your research, what role did the core values play in the day-to-day of the top-level organizations? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I was just talking with Sean Fitzpatrick, who was a New Zealand All Black uh, on Monday, and I talk about him in my book. He was a captain for 
50 something games. He was a player for 15 years, won the first rugby world cup. And, you know, if you know anything about the all blacks, they have a lot of mantras or core values or principles. One thing that they do is they never stop talking about them and they're visible and they're passed down from generation to generation. Right. So that that's a key thing, right? Not just on the t-shirt, not just in the walls, but the players talk about them and then veteran players pass it on to younger players, but you got to go beyond that. The next thing I would say, and one of the reasons I talk about it in that part of the book is because it's, do we demonstrate those things? And that, that the reality is like, as a parent, I can say, tell my kids about kindness, respect, and all these things. But if they see me or they hear me talk, you know, about other people and I'm not demonstrating those things, that's not who they'll end up becoming, right? They're not going, they're going to really follow my example more than they'll follow what I say. So the second thing I would say is, okay, put them on the walls and, and t-shirts, talk about them, but demonstrate them as a leader. And then, you know, the other thing I would say is, you know, they're part of that team standard setting is your values, those principles, like it, it's great to have love or selflessness or effort, but you know, having some mantras that bring that alive through language, but then also some clear standards around what that looks like. You know, that and you don't have to hit all 50, you know, areas of your program. If you can just pick four or five areas where your team struggles to set a standard that aligns with your core values. And when your players meet that, you find ways to celebrate that. We talk about, you know, the peer bonus or the teammate bonus, you know, ways of doing that, um, ways of celebrating those. Like I got a hockey academy I work with, you know, they have monthly awards for players getting, they're getting uh, decals or stickers on their helmets that are, you know, piling up over the year when they get those, uh, those, um, you know, awards for those core values. So they're constantly celebrating it. And at the same time, they're enforcing those standards. And I think that that's the, that's the last piece is great. Demonstrate it, talk about it, celebrate it. It comes back to accountability is when you guys don't meet the standard, do you do something about it or do you tolerate people below the standard? Because a lot of it originates with the coaches, right? Like, what am I going to implement? What am I going to hold people accountable for? Celebrate things. And especially early on, maybe either for somebody who's just at a new organization or if you're trying to like really change your organization, how do you get things to go from being like my culture to being our culture? Great question. And I think one of the things that we talk about in the book is the captain's council or leadership council. And this uh, is really honestly more of what the top organizations have is they don't have one captain, one leader. I mean, John Fitzpatrick, we're talking about that on Monday within the All Blacks. He says, when the All Blacks really get going is when there's really a leadership group. It's not one individual. There's a group of individuals that carry the culture. And so we have a very intentional system that we've developed over the years around this. I think most of us can't in our, in our past with captains, we get frustrated by it. We don't feel like we have leaders. We'd, we've tried a million different ways. Well, this is the one that's probably the most proven system uh, that we've done because we've done it with so many hundreds of programs. Every year, coaches are not, you know, they're staying with it, but they're also building on it. Ideally, you're getting the players to create a job description where they where they come up with the qualities and the behaviors they need in a leader for this team to be successful. You also have some responsibilities, which are weekly meetings um, with the head coach and as well as they're going to be leading units. So if you've got a team of 20 players, you might go with five, four or five captains or people on that leadership council, and they're leading another three to four people, right? So they have to, what does that mean? They're actually 
connecting with them. They're organizing some off, off the court team events. They're checking in on them individually to offer support on certain behavioral things that they struggle with. And they're serving them. They're carrying the water. They're, they're, they're sweeping the sheds or whatever it is in your program. They're saying, hey, you know, this position of leadership is not something that I'm above you. I am here with you. And so there's a few things that we do in this in the voting process that help this uh, to really be successful, as well as in those weekly meetings. You know, those are, you know, not just leadership classes with the coach. They're more of like, hey, what's going on with the team? What issues do we have? And it's bringing them to be part of the solution. Not, not you know, not just like suggestions for what the coach can do differently, but it's like, hey, we have a problem with the locker room cleanliness. What do you guys think we're going to do about it? Like you have to be part of the solution and you have to take ownership of it. So whatever issues or challenges you have in your program, they become the people that you often utilize to help not just discover those solutions, but execute them. It may be just the captain's council as far as investing in others and them allowing to invest. But I do feel like a lot of coaches feel like I don't have time to do all this and to keep people accountable all the time for everything. What advice do you have for them? Is it just simply empowering others to help with carrying the task? Or is, is are there some other things that you've seen coaches do? Well, that one is a give for the time that you have to put into it gives you a lot of, you know, a lot of impact, right? Is doing that. It's not a heavy investment of time. At the end of the day, it becomes something that actually saves you time, right? Like you need stuff cleaned, you need stuff that you need people at there on time. You just communicate to your captains, hey, get the team here. Like, I mean, it's just, it becomes this, this very powerful tool f- for you as a coach to impact. I would say when you go through this process of getting players to be a part of some st- standard setting, um, they're going to be more bought in and you're just going to have less issues. And one of the things I talk about when it comes to maybe the policing, the culture, the accountability is that we're having certain areas. We're not trying to address every area that we'd like to see our culture improve. It's we're saying, Hey, these are our three non-negotiables and maybe here's five other areas. And we're really going to lock in on these things. And I, and we're going to accept the fact that we can't improve everything. And I think about it in the basketball sense, you know, if you're going out there and first day of practice, I mean, there's probably a million things that you would love to see them do better in some sort of drill or some sort of segment. But as a coach, you have to be smart and pick one, two, maybe three things, right? If I know anything about coaching, right? Like you can't pick 10 things and debrief the team. Oh, we got this, this, this. They won't, they won't, you, you, you can't do it. You can't police it. You can't coach all those things. It's the same way with culture. You're trying to find a few things that are going to move the needle with your program. I'm interested to hear because of your workings with coaches and interacting with them. What struggles do they have in relationship to attempting to implement a culture? You just mentioned the biggest one, which is time, right? Time is the biggest one and decision fatigue wears on a, on a coach. Here's the thing about the, with the culture system, though, it's, it's built off of, you know, we use so much of checklists and we have a plan in place and we've created resources for our coaches to actually save them time at the end of the day. And what we really need from coaches in season, once you've got everything rolling, you're going to spend potentially uh, 30 minutes each week meeting with your captains, which people can do on their buses, you know, or, or in the stands. They, I mean, there's so many ways to do fit that in after practice, before practice, before school. You know, that's a big commitment. Um, 30 minutes there. 
Potentially, you might in- implement some of our team culture days, which are really just team culture time is trying to create space at least once a month to do stuff together off the court, um, ideally once a week. But once again, that's a commitment there. Um, and outside of that, you also might be doing like one-on-ones with players. And that's something that's probably the biggest time commitment we encourage our coaches. Not everybody's able to do it. But I've seen a high school coach with teaches a full load, has three kids, and has two part-time assistants. And they were able to get every player, have intentional one-on-ones with their players every month. And he was able to do that because they got a checklist. They divvied up the 12 players amongst the three. It was like one coach, one player a week. That was it. And those players, I mean, that was incredible for their growth as um, on the court and off the court. Um, huge. So we create these systems and then everything else is just really trying to adopt and work the style. And, and so at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you might have a certain number of drills and you know which drills you've got to do in, in, when it comes to teaching some sort of system for your offense. And it's just about getting better at teaching those drills or how you teach the offense within those drills. So it's more about the skills of coaching, the skills of discipline, the skills to support behavior. What changed for us was when this became, it became more than just a system for our culture, which I know this should, this should, it should be this way. If it's your culture, then it should touch every aspect of your program. But I still feel like sometimes we as coaches, especially basketball coaches, like culture is here and basketball is here. I'm going to do this, but then I'm done with this and it's time to do basketball. And you can tell me true or false and, and maybe some ways to identify this or to improve this. But things went to a next level for us when our culture and the things that, you know, core values or anything that we did within our culture was a part of what actually happened on the court as well. I, I love that because at the end of the day, I was for year, many years, I was trying to build my culture off the court. I was trying to get the kids in the classroom, pull them through leadership curriculum and things like that. So for years I was working at that, but I had to make a change, right? And my change was how did I build the culture within the practices, right? And how did I enforce those standards? And that became the big thing of it. So one of the big things there is when, you know, it, they're integrated because, so many of these drills, you know, things that we talk about before action reviews, after action reviews, um, those type of things, they can teach the technical and tactical aspects of things, right? So first off, you might review with your team. First off, you know, what were the behaviors that were necessary for us to be successful in this drill? But once you got those behaviors of communication and, you know, sprinting and energy, then you can get to focus on the technical and tactical aspects. So, it's so much of the culture is being built within the practice it's, itself because the standards are there. The values are, are, are clear in there. Um, and it will impact and positively benefit, you know, you as far as technically and tactically as well. What I love about the book is that I feel like you start that for coaches. It doesn't have to just be basketball coaches, but it's more than just the steps. You also give them ideas for like how to actually do this and what it looks like. You also do a really good job of like economizing words, which I think coaches will appreciate as well. I kind of want to end it at that so that they have to go buy the book. I really would like for them to get it. I've got a copy of it and I'm working my way through it. So where can they get it? And then also where can they connect with you? Because you offer a lot of things and you could tell them social podcast, anything that you think might be a help for them. Yeah. I mean, you can find it on Amazon or Audible. If you don't mind my voice, you can listen to me read the book for sure. Um, so it's on there, but you can also go to myculturesystem.com 
There's some extra resources you can get with the book, you know, checklists that you can print off, um, you know, different templates to use. So there's a lot of extra resources there as well as at my website, which is tocculture.com, tocculture.com. If you want to learn more about our one-on-one coaching program, uh, where we work with coaches, you know, throughout the season and the off season to really help coach them on these things. Uh, we have so many resources and tools that help coaches to implement it. The majority of our, our work then is really on our calls is just helping them, um, you know, recap conversations, recap the week, talk about things to be doing. So it just keeps people on track. Um, lastly, if you want to follow me on Twitter, not super active, but try to try to, try to pop on there every couple of days. Uh, my Twitter handle is at JP Nurbin, which is N-E-R-B-U-N. I hope coaches don't view this as like something else to do. This is what you do. And again, for us, it things just changed when it became what we do and touched every aspect of our program. And we're starting to see the fruits of it. And I, I think that this kind of gives you like the, the game plan for putting that together. And it's it's great. You've got, even got checklists in there. So, I mean, they can use the resources within it too. So the full title of the book, The Culture System, A Proven Process for Creating an Extraordinary Team Culture. And you can find that below down in the description. I've got a link down there. JP, great stuff. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, great conversation. You, you did great questions. So appreciate that.